Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we'll, of course, recap the Badgers' revenge spot win over the Maryland Terrapins. A uh, nice 61-55 to bounce-back win for the Badgers. Uh, given, the, given what happened the last two t- times these two teams played, it was uh, a pretty much improvement uh, over the first time. So we'll talk about that, break down the big night from Micah Potter. Uh, talk all things basketball as the Badgers get ready for a back-to-back with Penn State. In the back half of the show, we'll continue kind of the structure we've had the last few episodes, talking some football. We've got some news to touch on before we get into our position preview and review. Today we're going to talk about the middle linebacker spot, a really strong position for the Badgers in terms of the starters, but we'll talk about the rest of the position and the guys behind them as well. So should be a nice, uh, fun, full episode for you guys to round out uh, this week of the podcast. Matt, how are you this morning? Doing phenomenal, ready to talk a little b-ball. Yeah, it's nice. We get to talk about a win because uh, I, I think we all desperately needed that, and uh, the the Badgers came out, and I wouldn't say it was the prettiest effort. I mean, there's been a lot of Wisconsin games this year that may not look the best, but at the end of the day, they, end of the day, they came away with a victory, which is the most important thing in this conference. So, nice revenge win, 61 to 55. What did you make of that game for Wisconsin? I think they righted a lot of the wrongs that happened in that first game. You look at the first game, Maryland shot uh, 64% from the field, were 43% from three, and just dominated the batters in the paint, outscoring them 38-20, um, you know, in, inside. And in this one, Wisconsin just was able to kind of shut down some of the things that Maryland wanted to do. Maryland really struggled for most of this game from three, uh, specifically in the first half going to a 14. I thought Wisconsin looked a lot uh, more energetic in this game. They had a little bit of passion behind what they were doing, which was which was big. And I think you you saw Maryland go on a couple runs that, that really, um, you know, put the Badgers back on their heels. But then um, they were quickly able to regain composure and pull away. And, and so I think this is a nice win for the Badgers to kind of right the wrongs that we saw back in late December. Yeah, that's, I think, the biggest thing you can take from him is that, you know, the last time these two teams played in the Cole Center, it, it really wasn't pretty. Now, granted, Maryland in that game, it, it was kind of tough luck for Wisconsin. I'm not going to, you know, give them an excuse and say they played better than maybe what the score indicated, but it seemed that first game, Maryland was hitting everything, and last night they were they were ice cold a lot of the game, and, and part of that was a much better defensive effort from Wisconsin, but part of that was, uh, Maryland just not having the hot shooting night that uh, that they did in that first game. The, I mean, the first one, it just seemed like shot after shot was just falling no matter where they took it from. So a couple, you know, in college basketball, you have some of those games where it's just one night, you know, the other team is hitting everything and you're just not hitting and, and that's how it goes sometimes. But I think for the Badgers, this kind of helped them get back in the groove. Of course, that Ohio State loss really stung, but we've talked about it. You know, last episode we said kind of two steps forward, one step back for this team. They they took that first step forward against Maryland, did a lot of things better, 
And the overall, like I said at the beginning, a win's a win, and, and now they can try and stack a couple of those to get a back-to-back with Penn State, a team that is playing better, um, but but still a team that you should be favored to win. You know, a couple games, it's hard. There's been a lot of college basketball back-to-backs. It's hard to kind of gauge how that works um, and, and how that impacts the teams. But I think for Wisconsin, you've got to be looking at this part of the schedule and and feeling pretty good about it after that win. If you can pick up a couple against Penn State, you should set yourself up nicely in this kind of as we get closer to that home stretch of the Big Ten season. For sure, and and that's been something that this team has has kind of struggled with is you know stringing together those victories. We've seen in each one of their games this conference season they've won they've won two lost one one two lost one 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 two lost one. Um, this is an opportunity to to put together three straight before you go on the road to Champaign, and I think that's something that this team desperately needs and would would do a lot for their their confidence. But but I think overall you look at this game. This was a big road win um, to, to kind of get things back in order. Um, you could tell from the team that there was a lot more energy on the bench. There was, uh, you know, so a little bit more going on on the actual court in terms of energy as well. I think Micah Potter had a phenomenal game and was a big reason that they won it. But you also saw some, some nice performances by a guy like Demetric Trice who, who pulled in eight rebounds and, and did some nice things with that. Um, overall, it's, it wasn't a game that I think the Badgers um, are super, you know, pumped about just simply because, you know, they still allowed Maryland to have a couple nice stretches there. I know Maryland went for a 20-8 to run coming out of the half, which seems to be um, a trend for the Badgers, you know, a slow start in the second half. Um, but then – and then didn't the Badgers didn't score – um, a field goal in the last seven minutes, which you just can't have, especially when you're trying to close out a game. But, uh, you know, they, they escaped with a victory. And if anytime you can get a victory on the road in the Big Ten, I think you take it, especially this year when we've seen teams, uh, you know, be snake-bitten snake um, repeatedly in this conference. Yeah, you know, a win's a win, and you, you have to take it no matter what, especially on the road. So probably not the, the prettiest game, not exactly what they wanted, but uh, escaping with the W is, is huge and important in that spot. So last episode we talked a little bit about the defensive struggle against Ohio State, and given what happened the last time Maryland and Wisconsin met, that was a little bit of concern. Again, you know, that first game Maryland seemed to make everything, so you can't put it all on a poor defensive effort, but the energy levels in that first one, we talked about that last time after they played, but overall the batters looked good on that end. Aside from, you know, that run that you mentioned, that 20-8 to run, there was a few lapses in, in certain possessions where guys were just out of position, but overall the defense, I think, looked much better from where they were in that Ohio State game. So what did you make of the defensive effort in last night's victory? They were a lot better this time at closing out on uh, shooters. They had a hand in the face of pretty much every Maryland shot, especially in the first half, which was a big reason for their struggles. Uh, but, but I think the other big thing was they communicated better on help defense, didn't allow Maryland to, to have the, the free reign of, of the paint. And we saw what Maryland was able to do that first go-around when it just appeared like it was layup lines for some of mm-hmm. it, where Maryland was able to get in there and do pretty much whatever they wanted inside. And this game was very different. Wisconsin did a much better job at uh, controlling the paint, not allowing the Terrapins to kind of uh, get in there and, and own them. Maryland only had a was only plus two in the paints, a stark difference than what we saw the first time. And 
And I think Wisconsin did a better job in the rebounding department, which also helped them out because in that first that first time, Maryland also um, was was really good at grabbing rebounds, kind of being the aggressor on that. And I think Wisconsin, like I said, did a lot of things to rebound nicely from that tough loss um, back when they met on December 28th. Yeah, the the rebounding was, you know, they out-rebounded them 38-31, to 31, which is huge. Seven offensive rebounds, I think a lot of those, um, you know, really gave Wisconsin an opportunity to, to, to get some second-chance points. Um, they, I think overall on the offensive end, they, they moved the ball really well, but the defensive end was was the big thing and, and the big takeaway and, and really the thing that we've been watching for the last few games has been that interior defense. That was the... You know, coming off that first Maryland game, we talked about it. That was kind of the Achilles heel for Wisconsin is that they were getting beat up in the paint by really a Maryland team that shouldn't be shouldn't be knocking you around in the paint. It's one thing if you're getting beat up in the paint by by the big guys in, in the conference and with Iowa and, and Michigan, Illinois, guys that have really quality big men. And Maryland has some guys that, that are certainly talented, but at the same time, you shouldn't be pushed around if you're an experienced-laden team with, with guys like Nate Reavers and, and Micah Potter, Tyler Wall, you know, getting more uh, of his strength going in terms of his game. So that first one was kind of a head-scratcher in a lot of ways. That This team shouldn't be getting knocked around by a Maryland team like that, and I think they righted that uh, a lot in this game. You you saw just an overall better defensive effort interior-wise, but also just team defense. Guys weren't necessarily out of position um, a lot of times, and I think overall – it's 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 a solid contribution from from all the guys. It takes team effort that way, and I, I think Wisconsin will be happy with the defensive effort. But there's still a few possessions you can nitpick and, and kind of take some things from, and hopefully they can continue to get that cleaned up in these back-to-back games against Penn State. Yeah, for for sure, there's definitely plenty to clean up. You still saw the Badgers struggle at times inside, uh, you know, for chunks of this game, being able to score in the paint, being able to finish near the rim. Uh, you you saw multiple times where the Badgers still had a patented scoring drought that, that could have ultimately doomed mm-hmm. them, but they were able to kind of weather that storm. Um, and, and they still a lot had some times where the defense got a little lazy. Um, but but kudos, Greg, Greg Gard let that ride, that, that uh, long run, and they were able to kind of turn the momentum behind Micah Potter. And I know he had a big game, and I know that that's our next up for us to talk about. Yeah, that was definitely the other big storyline of the night was a double-double for Micah Potter. You know, when you think about last year, of course, he came in later in the season. Um, this was kind of around the time where he started to find his footing and really start to heat up. So good to see that from him. How big is it for this team is if he's able to come out and, and play with that dominating big man force that he played with last night? It's absolutely huge. You you look at the first time they played, he only had four points, and it was the lowest scoring total he had the entire year. Um, it was one of only three times on the season where he was held in uh, under 10 points. So um, I, I think this was a game that he really wanted and probably circled after struggling so much against Maryland the first time. 23 points, 12 boards. Um, he, he was able to do everything, and he only played 23 minutes. Uh, led the team at plus minus. He he was he was a force. It was a big reason why they got this victory. And you you look at what he can bring when he is you know engaged, really playing well, and and he can do a lot of really nice things for this team. It he's going to still always or I guess always be um, somewhat of a liability on the defensive end. Uh, but at the same time, if he can put 
together that kind of production on the offensive end, it doesn't really matter because he's able to, to really help this team out on that end of the court and be a difference maker. Now, I don't think he's going to be, you know, look, pouring in 23 points a game or anything like that. He's not going to be a double-double machine because otherwise he, w- he would have had more than uh, this being his third double-double of the season. But at the same time, he did some really nice things. He was shooting well from three, which is, I think, a big reason for his scoring output. But uh, if he can string together some nice games like he's been doing, uh, he's, he's scored in double figures in, I want to say, he's scored in double figures in every game since that Maryland game, which is six straight. He, if he can keep that going, I think this team can do some really nice things down the stretch. It's just a matter of now stringing together those W's behind the work that him and, and Dimitri Christ, those two seem to be the, the two main pillars on the offensive end. If they can keep doing that um, moving forward, I think this team can do um, still has the chance to, to meet all of their goals in front of them. Yeah, I mean, you look at last night's, you know, if you're looking at the stat sheet, Dimitri Trice and Micah Potter put together 36 of the 61 points. So really it was it was those two putting the team kind of on their back and, and willing them to that victory. And and that's probably what you, you at least need, you know. Dimitri Trice this year has been incredibly consistent. You can pretty much expect him to put together 10 to 15. Sometimes he'll, he'll go off for 20-plus for points, but he's usually in that nice range, and he's going to put in quality buckets for you and play in a ton of minutes. And then after that, you, you kind of need a contribution from one of those other guys. And, and so far, right now, Nate, Le- Nate Reavers has been – he looked better last game. Unfortunately, last night only played 16 minutes, 5 points, kind of struggled once again. Brad Davison only put in six points. You know, Micah Potter was was really the difference maker in this one. And, you know, Aleem Ford, uh, three points. Tyler Wall, four points. So it was really a struggle for a lot of these other guys. But Potter uh, just came out and, and, and really put it together on the offensive end. I mean, 23 points in 23 minutes is really impressive when you include that you grab 12 boards. So I wouldn't expect that night in and night out. But if you can get even half of that, if you know, if Micah Potter is – is grabbing six rebounds and, and 15 points, uh, you know, every night. You're in you're in a really good spot because you have to expect the likes of of Reavers and and Ford, who's played better over the last few games, and and Brad Davis, and eventually is going to start waking up. And if all these guys start putting in effort and and putting in bu- buckets, you know, every night in and night out, even two or three of them, I, I think this offense can get back to being much more dangerous than and more whether they expected early in the season because. Right now, you can't go into every game relying on, on one guy to will you the way, but uh, if Wisconsin can kind of let these guys work through the struggles that they're somewhat having and, and they can get back to playing the way they're used to, I think this offense can be pretty dangerous. Yeah, and Brad Davison needs to stop sticking his damn foot out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, that is another thing. It seems like we've had, uh, you know, Brad Davison has been with Wisconsin for what feels like forever, and year after year we seem to always have some sort of conversation uh, about that situation. So hopefully we can get that figured out and, and that doesn't cost them um, as they work on this uh, stretch run here in the Big Ten schedule. So at the end of the day, to kind of wrap up the, the basketball talk, wasn't, a, you know, we talked about it a little bit already, wasn't a pretty game, wasn't exactly what you'll take, but again, a win and a win. A win is a win in this conference. Now it's time to string a few together against Penn State, a team that is playing better, lost last night to Ohio State, but really gave them a game. What are you expecting? What are you going to be looking for in this back-to-back with the Nittany Lions? I, I think the big thing is to see what the Badgers will do with all of the guard talent that Penn State has. 
You know, they got Myron Jones. They got Isaiah Brockington. They've got Jamari Wheeler. They've got Sam Sessoms. Like, they've got a lot of guards that can do some nice things. They've got four different guys in double figures uh, averaging that. And um, they've got four of those guards are averaging over a assist and a half a game, uh, three of which are over two a game. So I think you look at what they present. Uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Badgers just because um, Wisconsin isn't super deep at guard. I, I think you'll see a lot of Donathan Davis in this game potentially. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what Tyler Wall can do on the defensive end and who he matches up with. But uh, I, I think Wisconsin, this is a game you should win. They're 5-7 and seven for a reason. They're 11th in the Big Ten. The Wisconsin is, has very different goals than what Penn State has right now and um, has a much higher ceiling. If the Badgers are able to kind of secure these two wins, I think it would be huge for them uh, moving forward and their wins that they have to have after dropping that game at, against Ohio State um, in order to keep pace at the top of the Big Ten. But it's not going to be easy, especially on the road uh, on, on Saturday. We saw that uh, Penn State nearly took down Ohio State on the road last night as well. So this is this is a feisty team that can do some nice things. And if Wisconsin comes out flat uh, and similarly follows a pattern that they have where the second half in the beginning is a, is a struggle fest, I, I think they're going to be in trouble. But I think if they can put together uh, a really consistent game where they're they're active, they're engaged in the game, they're really working hard on the defensive end to help them out on the offensive end, they'll be fine, and they should beat Penn State for both these games. Yeah, I think uh, the interesting thing for me to watch in, in this, you know, I, I really find, you know, with the COVID and, and the scheduling that way, these back-to-backs interesting because that second time out, you know, Wisconsin hasn't had to deal with that yet this year, but a lot of these smaller conferences are playing, you know, back-to-back nights against the same opponents. Thankfully, you don't have that. You, you've got, uh, you know, a home at home with a, with a day in between or a couple days in between, I believe. Um, so it's nice for the Badgers, and they'll be able to make some adjustments. But I think what I'm going to be looking for is, is really how the pace of play goes for Wisconsin. You know, with Penn State, you, know, you saw it last night if you watched that Ohio State game with them. They really like to play up-tempo, get out and transition and, and play fast versus Wisconsin, uh, you know, for a lack of a better term, likes to play a little bit like a snail. So how – how that goes back and forth and how that changes versus the, the, the first game and the second one is going to be interesting to watch. You know, Penn State, if they're slowed down and, and forced to play the way Wisconsin you know, wants to play it, uh, I think it's going to be you know, very advantageous to the Badgers. I don't think Penn State has enough – they've got enough talent, but I just don't – that's not their game. They like to get out and run, and if Wisconsin can limit that and, and make it you know, an end-to-end game, possession-by-possession game – you got to like the Badgers' effort and, and chances in that one. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch because Penn State, like I said, likes to likes to get out and, and play fast. But Wisconsin, you know, has, has really most parts this year not really been a team that runs. And if they get into that track meet, that could be a struggle for Wisconsin because they don't have that depth in terms of the guard play either. So I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. I know Penn State's been playing better, but it, it should be a game and, and really a couple games that Wisconsin should be able to come away victorious in if they kind of keep that cleanup that they had last night against Maryland. All right, I think that wraps up our basketball discussion, guys. So stick with us through a couple quick ad reads, and then we'll get into our football talk. 
All right, before we get into our position preview on the football side, we've got to talk uh, a tough blow for Wisconsin in terms of uh, their position and assistant coaches. Um, great for John Bud, Bud Meyer. He's taken over the offensive coordinator job at Colorado State, I think, for Wisconsin fans to see a guy like him go on to a bigger job and, and really hopefully get able to take over the play calling and, and have a step up in terms of his career is awesome to see. But in the, the selfish short term of it, it sucks for Wisconsin. He's been a guy that uh, has, has really done a good job at that quarterback position in terms of just improving the overall play and also the recruiting stuff, you know, landing and helping land Graham Merge, Deacon Hill, uh, the quarterback position room has, has really taken off, I think, despite the struggle in play. Uh, John Budmeyer's been a, a really strong voice in Graham Mertz's ear. So what do you make uh, of that departure, and, and how big of an impact will it be on the Badgers quarterback room? I think it's big. You you look at it, it makes a ton of sense for Budmeyer, so congrats to him. I think it's a nice stepping stone move for him to go get that elevated title to become an offensive coordinator because I'm guessing his goals aren't to just be a quarterback coach for the rest of his career. Um, he's a really smart guy who I think can can help teams out down the road, and who knows, he might come back to Wisconsin um, down the line. But um, I think when you look at it in terms of Wisconsin, it, it's pretty big. You, you look at he had a really strong relationship not only with Graham Mertz, but also with the incoming um, class of 2021 with Deacon Hill, and a big reason why Hill uh, stuck with his commitment uh, despite UCLA um, sniffing around the hometown team. So I look at it as um, Wisconsin will, will be fine. They'll hire somebody. But I think the transition here this offseason to, to help Graham Mertz is going to be huge. It, they got to get the hire right because you need somebody who's going to be able to establish a rapport with them and get the ball moving quickly because this is a, p a pivotal offseason for Mertz because he's the guy. He's your guy moving forward. Uh, with Jack Cohn out, you know it's going to be Graham Mertz. There's there's no question about that going into the offseason. And this is one where um, you don't want to stunt Mertz's development by having a, a rotating door of different assistants in there uh, working with him. I think having Paul Christ will, will definitely – pay dividends this offseason to be able to work with uh, Mertz. But at the same time, I think it's definitely going to be uh, – so, so he's going to be sorely missed because of what he was able to do not only um, as, as a developer. Um, we saw what Jack Cohn was able to do over the course of his career, but also what we um, have seen on the recruiting front because he's been really, really good at develop – or. Uh, developing a quick rapport with some of these guys and closing down recruitments well before other schools start sniffing around and finding some, some gems. You know, both Deacon Hill and Graham Mertz were guys that were not heavily recruited before when he threw those offers out and he closed the door down to, to uh, sign them before any other schools really started sniffing around. And I think that's, that is something that the Badgers are really going to miss. So um, I think whoever they bring in is going to have their work cut out for them in the 2022 class to find a guy. Um, but but really, I think as long as they they make the right hire, they'll be fine. Yeah, I think you the stuff that you mentioned in the recruiting side of it is is probably the bigger blow. Of course, John Budmeyer is a guy that they've that everyone's raved about when when talked about in terms of what he knows about the position. 
and everything like that. But recruiting is the lifeblood of, of a college football program, and the quarterback position especially is one that you can't really afford to miss on. You know, that uh, a strong quarterback recruit can, can elevate your team for, to the next part of the program. That's the hope with Graham Mertz, and, and that's the hope as you – Go out and recruit. You know every everyone in that position. That's it's an impactful position. It's an important position in Wisconsin. Unfortunately, that's a tough blow. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's it's tough for the Badgers, but at the same time, it's a testament to what Wisconsin does well with their assistance. They it's a, it's always an honor to see you know these guys jump up to bigger jobs. It's usually because they're doing a good job at, at their current position and are looking for more. So. It's not all that surprising. I think it's really going to be fun to see what John Budmeyer can do, you know, calling the plays. And, and who knows, maybe down the road he ends up back at Wisconsin in a similar position. I know there's been a lot of talk of that on the uh, the message boards around the world that uh, Budmeyer goes out to, to Colorado and, and hopefully has success, and, and maybe he comes back in some sort of form later on. So uh, I think at the end of the day you got to wish him uh, the best. I, I think he'll be great at it. He, he's got an eye for the game. He's got an eye for recruitment. And, Colorado State is a job that hopefully can allow him to thrive. So it's it's tough in the short term for Wisconsin, and they'll need to hopefully fill that void with 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 a strong candidate that can kind of help help take over that recruiting effort and and keep that room bolstered to play. But thankfully, right now you've got Graham Mertz, you've got Deacon Hill, who you feel pretty strong about. So they've got a little bit of time, but the right hire and and getting the right fit in there is going to be important as the Badgers move forward. So. There seems a very likely candidate out there. I know the, the name Scott Tolzien has been mentioned a little bit. Would you say he's he's the heavy favorite right now to fill that role? I mean, it makes too much damn sense. Like it would just it would make a lot of sense given what um, his ties to Paul Christ uh, as a former player. Um, he was an analyst for the team doing scouting uh, in 2019 before he went off to the NFL. And you look at his role within the Cowboys. He is. Uh, an assistant to the quarterback's coach. So he's not actually the quarterback coach. If he's want to break it, if he wants to break into coaching at a higher level, he's going to need to eventually become a quarterback coach. Um, and why not do it at your alma mater? Uh, he's a guy who's played six years in the NFL, has around $6 million in the bank after uh, his career. Um, it makes a lot of sense for him to want to do that, especially when you look at that. In um, in the Cowboys organization, you've got Mike McCarthy at the top, who I know he has ties with, but uh, McCarthy has pretty hands-on with quarterbacks. Their quarterback coach is a veteran, Doug Nussmeyer. He's been around forever. And they also have Seneca Wallace in that room helping work with quarterbacks. So he's he's getting experience in that role, but at the same time, this would be a much bigger opportunity for him. I would anticipate that he would be one of the first calls for the Badgers unless they have some other secret candidate that we're not aware of. Um, I think that's what I would get, how I would guess it works out. And I, I think really you look at it because of his, his playing days in the NFL as well as um, his familiarity with the team and Paul Christ and the offense, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it would be – it almost makes too much sense where I, I think it would be a home run hire for, for both parties that way. I mean, for Wisconsin, you've got a guy that is, of course, an alumni, you know, a guy that, that played and was a really solid uh, player at the quarterback position, probably underrated when you, you talk Badger quarterbacks uh, in in the past year. Um, so I think for them, I think it would be a great hire. You look at he's a guy that you know played in the system, is familiar with Paul Chris, 
went on to the NFL, had, had a solid role as a backup, played with the likes of, you know, Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers. Hopefully, you know, in those positions, he was he was a sponge and, and learned some things from them and, and also did a fairly good job in, in filling in when he had, you know, when he's called upon as a player and, and getting in some time. So I think overall, if the Badgers were able to land a guy like Scott Tolzien, I think it's great for the program. He's got NFL experience. I think he'd be able to step in and use that to his advantage in the recruiting role as well. So I think for the Badgers, it'd be great. And for Scott Tolzien, it's like you mentioned, it's a step up in terms of his position as a coach. I know he's been open to to coming on board as a college coach. It's not like he's trying to only make his hand to the NFL and, and college is, is sort of beneath him. I think it'd be a, a step up to where he's at right now. So it seems to align perfectly, and, and hopefully if it happens, uh, the Badgers can get him in and get him working because I think it'd be a, a great fit for Wisconsin overall and a great fit for Tolzien as he tries to, to move up and advance in his career that way. For sure, and I, I, I think the, the question mark will be recruiting um, just because he doesn't have that experience. We'll see if this is the direction that they go um, or, or if, if Paul Chris kind of goes off the grid and, and brings in some, some fresh blood. Um, but, but I think all eyes need to be directly on Scott Tolzien because that marriage makes way too much sense um, on paper, and it seems like a nice stepping stone for uh, Tolzien to come back if, indeed, that's what he wants to do. Um, so we'll see. Wisconsin has seemed to have done well the first time when they went with Bud Meyer, a, a former player who um, ended up stay, sticking around. We'll see if Tolzien uh, ends up being the, the same. Yeah, yeah. Given the Badgers' history of of going after guys that are familiar with the program or you know former players that way, it makes a lot of sense. But we'll have to keep an eye on it, and and certainly, if that ends up happening, we'll make sure to discuss it here on Bucky's fifth podcast. All right, let's get into our position preview review. We've we've been doing the defense um, these last few episodes. We'll stick with the defense here. We'll go middle linebacker today. I think it's a spot that uh, you know. Kind of, you have your answers on who will be the starters next year. I don't think there'll be any debate on that, but I, I still think it's a position that that has some intrigue when you look to the future of it and, and where this, dire- you know, what direction they go um, with some of these younger guys. So Jack Sanborn, Leo Chanel, both had great years. You know, we did our end of the year discussion and awards, defensive MVP. I think one of us picked Sanborn and one of us picked Chanel, but really you could make an argument for either, and and it's for the sake of being different. Um, I think we ended up going with one or another. So both were great. Jim Leonard called them, you know, really the most important players on the field for his defense. So what did you make of, of their year this year, and, and how do you expect them to, to make strides next year? I think the duo played really well. I think both Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel bring a physicality and toughness to the defense that they need. Um, you know, they're your prototypical inside linebackers for the Badgers, both uh, roughly the same size at like 6'2", 240-some, um, Sanborn a little lighter at 230, um, Chanel all the way up to 250. But um, they can cover a lot of ground. They're, they're fast, um, instinctual guys. I, I was really impressed by what we saw out of Leo Chanel as, uh, in his first year as a starter. I would anticipate him making a nice leap um, under Bob Bosteb. Um, I, I think Sanborn is, is going to be your unquestioned leader of the defense next year, though, um, entering what would traditionally be his senior season. I, I know with eligibility stuff, it's still kind of up in the air, but he's, he's going to be a, entering as a three-year starter, as a, a two-year starter going into his third year, starting at that position, and learned a lot from Chris Orr. 
I, I would think he's making your calls. He He's getting you in and out of what you need to on defense. And Chanel, I think – if it might be a good thing if he wanted to to cut like a pound or two just to get a step quicker because it just seems like he was always just a step behind on some of those facts that excuse me we mentioned. Um, so I, I think they've got the makings of a really strong defense starting with those two. I think they're the most important players on the entire defense next season and and should help uh, alleviate some of the stressors that are come with um, the turnover along the defensive line. Yeah, I think that'll be really important to have those two in the middle. That's kind of a nice pillar to, to start building your defense on. And then you look at the, the secondary, you feel pretty good about them. So so if you can get the production from the defensive line and those outside linebacker positions, then you're in a really good spot. But overall this year, both of them had great seasons. Yeah, you mentioned the, the Leo Chennault being kind of a step behind. If he uh, makes a few more of those plays, and then thankfully in the, in the last couple games he, he seemed to – finally come through and get some of those plays. And I think going into next year, you'll see him as well. He could have had a much bigger year um, if, if he was just not that step behind. So overall, I think the duo is really strong, and they'll only get better as they go into next year. Chanel made a nice jump up from where he was his freshman year. Um, so going into this year, I think he'll you would expect another stride up. And, and you know what you get with Jack Sanborn. You're going to get a guy that uh, you know calls the defense, probably leads the team in tackles. I know Chanel made a run at that this year. Uh, but I would expect the full season Jack Sanborn's going to be the guy that is, is there in the run game, cleaning up and making tackles, and you know, kind of that lunch pail guy that Wisconsin's had uh, a lot over the course of these last couple decades. So um, I'm excited to see what this duo can do. It, I think uh, a spring ball for them both to keep getting in sync with one another will be huge. You know, This year was, was kind of an odd year with COVID and a smaller schedule that way. Um, so they didn't get as much time to work together, but still a, a lot of time to, to work at that middle linebacker duo. So I think both of them will, will be a lot better next year and, and put a big number. Chanel especially, I think, could, could make that jump from, from you know a really good middle linebacker to, to one of the best in the country. I think he's got all the tools there. Um, he, it's just time to, to really put it together, and I think a full normal year will help him do that. So I think if you're looking at a position to really be excited about, it's, it's those two in the middle. Yeah, no doubt. And then you also throw in that they have Mike Maskalunas uh, coming back for a sixth year. He's a walk-on kid, cowboy collar guy that uh, <laughs> should uh, should help them out and give them a lot of depth behind those two. He's he's a guy who isn't isn't gonna be your your everyday starter, but if you need him for spot duty to give one of the other guys a blow, he he's he's good to hop out there, and he's he's a good special team performer. So I think. The Badgers are in a good space with those top three, and I know we're going to talk about next kind of what it looks like behind those three, though, where the questions kind of start popping up. Yeah, I mean, the this the, the starting duo is about as solid as you can ask for, and, and Mascalunas is a good, um, you know, kind of kind of B role player. We can step in for either one of those two and, and, and hopefully contribute, um, you know, in some sort of rotation, but I think after that is where, yeah, the questions start to arise for this group. There's younger guys that we, you know, if you follow recruiting, you're you're familiar with the names, uh, you know, the likes of Jordan Turner, Malik Reed. There, there's all sorts of guys that you can look at. It's just you haven't seen anything from them on the field quite yet. And and when we talked about this preseason, you know, before COVID and, and the original cancellation, you know, we talked about uh, the linebacker position. We expected to maybe see some of these guys get worked in there and just really didn't happen for them. So 
who are some young guys that you have your eye on that could maybe break through? Maybe not a ton next year when you look at the starting duo, but maybe guys that can work into the rotation and become established starters, you know, a couple of years down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ideally if you look at the depth chart, I don't think that Bob Bostad wanted to just have Mike Mascalunas represented as the backup at both inside linebacker spots. Um, I think no matter what, he would be the guy that would be called upon if either of them did unfortunately go down. But that doesn't change the fact that they usually like to have another name up there. Um, so this is a big offseason for some of those redshirt freshmen, redshirt uh, um, guys who were true freshmen last year. Um, you know, Mumajong Mehta is a guy who who is going to be entering his first spring. Um, Preston Zachman, Jordan Turner, Malik Reed, all those freshmen are entering their first spring because they didn't get that last year. Um, I, it, you know, both Turner and Zachman were, were early enrollees, but really they didn't get the full experience, which I think hampered their chances of, of being on the field as much this year. So I think those are where you have to look to start is, are those three guys, uh, or four guys, I should say, um, all of which are going to be freshmen next year because I would assume Chung Meadow will still be a freshman given the fact that the eligibility stuff. Um, but then the, the wild card is Tatum, Gra- is Tatum Grass, uh, former walk-on out of Holman. He, he, was, he was the guy when they needed extra stuff, and when they talked to Jim Leonard, he was, he was the guy he mentioned at inside linebacker as a guy that was kind of making some waves. Um, he, he's a redshirt freshman this past year, 6'2", 230, very similar build to what you see out of Mascalunas, so maybe he's a guy as well. And then you have a whole host of true freshmen coming in that I think um, could elevate the room as well. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of potential in that room, you know, behind the the two starters and Mascalunas as that next guy. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see. And I think this year especially with that group, this hopeful spring football that you're going to have will will really allow this team to uh, and this group to elevate their game and, and get their feet a little bit more under them. I, I you know I look back at the recruiting. I really like the game of Jordan Turner. He was a guy that uh, seemed to play above uh, you know just being a high schooler. He had that size. He had that strength that you like to see. So I think he's got a chance to to be a really good player. Malik Reed was a guy that you, you when you read up and watched some of his tape as well was a really strong player. So. I think there's plenty of guys that could could make a name for themselves. Tatum Grass, like you mentioned, is is a guy that could be that next. You know, you look at Wisconsin football; they have that walk on that that kind of makes an impact, and and all of a sudden goes on to a really strong career. He could be that guy as well. So there's plenty of options, and and thankfully they've got. You know, you don't have to force any of them on the field because yeah, you have that really strong starting duo, but. There is that possibility. Middle linebacker, you're, you're making a lot of tackles, you're making a lot of plays, you're taking on a lot of contact. There's a chance, you know, over a 12, 13, 14 game season that a, a guy like Chanel or Sanborn could get banged up and you're going to need to go to Mascalunas or, or one of those guys behind him. So having a fourth inside linebacker that is, is ready to play, I think will be really key to watch for, maybe even a fifth because you like to keep those guys fresh. You're not going to be taking Schnall and Sanborn both off the field at the same time. You know, I, I would imagine ever maybe you have you rotate Mascalunas in once or twice and, and have another guy in there. But I think you really want to see some development from some of that group in that four and five spot because once Sanborn is gone, it's going to be Schnall that kind of takes over that spot, and then you're going to need another guy that, that steps in there. So 
I think this year and, and this spring is really important in terms of development of that inside linebacker position. Yeah, I was just I was going to say the same thing. I totally agree. I think you're going to have to see at least one of these guys make an imprint um, on the field because you're going to have a wide open spot um, going into 2022 with with both. Uh, you would have to assume here that Jack Sanborn would be likely gone. Um, he's a guy who had options to, to leave early this year but chose to come back for 2021. Um, and then Masculunas is a sixth-year guy. I mm-hmm. doubt he sticks around for his seventh year and that that dealt the NCAA grants that waiver. So you're, you're looking at no matter what, you're going to have a new starter next to Leo Chanel. So I would anticipate that one of those guys is going to be listed in the two deep this year. And um, whether it be one of those four freshmen that we mentioned, Tatum Grass um, as a walk-on, or it's one of those three incoming freshmen that I think have really, really high ceilings. You look at Brian Sanborn, if he's anything like his brother, they, they did really well there. Um, four-star kid, according to 247, Jake Ratzloff. Um, I, I think he's the guy that out of all of the inside linebackers outside of the two starters that I'm most excited about, I think you look at his athleticism as a, a hockey recruit and, and what he has on film, and the dude is a freak. I think he's a guy that could really help them out um, and play all over the place because um, he's just so athletic. And then you also look at Jake Chaney, who's – uh, you know, the son of a, a former NFL player, son of a, uh, a a coach, and he's an early enrollee. He's a guy that I think could also help them out uh, down the road as well. So I think the the future is really bright for the inside linebacker position. There's a lot of young players there. Um, now it's just going to be a matter of seeing which of these guys kind of grabs a hold of it and, and takes the reins as next up for 2022 because I think that's the biggest question for this group uh, heading into this offseason, both uh, winter conditioning, which just started, spring practice, um, into summer conditioning, and into fall practice. I think that's where fans should be keeping an eye on is the development of some of those younger inside linebackers. Yeah, it, it's certainly a position that uh, has a lot of excitement around it. You know, thankfully for Wisconsin, you know, their track record is pretty good at recruiting, you know, inside linebackers that way. They usually always have one guy that is really playing strong. So I think the potential is certainly there. It's just time to, to see what this group can do as they come in and work towards that, that open position, you know, coming down the road here. So uh, will be a lot of fun to watch that middle linebacker and inside linebacker position. So. All right, guys, that wraps up our week of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed our basketball talk and our football discussion. It's been a lot of fun you know, having that balance of both uh, to, to tickle all the fancies of, of Badger fandom out there. So, uh, as always, guys, thank you for listening on Wisconsin. Thank you.